0: All right, we're going to open in prayer as we open the word. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. We ask you to bless this time as we look at your word and, and start this new series. In Jesus' name, amen. We're starting a new series. We finished the book of Philemon last week. Uh, we're going to be starting a book, that, a section that I call Foundations. It's based between the first 11 chapters of Genesis. So we're going to be going through Genesis 1 through 11 over the next probably 26 weeks. Uh, and going through the foundations because the, these verses, these chapters cover the beginnings of all things. All right, It goes from creation to the fall of man to the spreading of the nations to the mixing up the languages for sin. So we're going to be looking at this and we're going to start in Genesis verse 1, chapter 1. How about... Chapter 1, verse (laughs) 1. All right. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's as far as we're going. (laughs) Happens to be our memory verse as well for this month. So we look at this verse, and it's the very first book of the Bible. And it says, In the beginning, God created. And we're going to start with pretty much in the beginning. Because we look at this, and we go in the beginning of what? All right, is this the beginning of God? No, because it says in the beginning God. And you know, this is one of the questions. A lot of times, people throw out to you, you know, and they think they're being really, really intelligent and really, really smart. And we will go, "Where did God come from?" Okay. And I've heard it. If I've heard it once, I've heard it a hundred or thousand times. You know, where did God come from? And it's supposed to, be that, that's supposed to be the question that stops every Christian in their tracks. They can't come up with any answer. Well, the answer is really simple. God did not have a beginning. And they go, well, that's not, that doesn't make sense. Well, logically, you do have to have a prime event that goes before the start. Because you cannot have something that just starts and nothing to start it. So there has to be something logically that has no beginning. Now what that beginning is you'll have to work out. <laughs> all right. I will take God's word that he's the beginning and has no beginning. All right. We have scientists that want to tell us that energy and matter have no beginning. They've always existed. That is viola- that's in violation to all the science laws. You know, the first and second laws of thermodynamics say that if that is true, we should be in a dead universe because everything moves to inertia. And if if it's eternal, we should be at the inertia point. And people will go, we're in the middle. You can't be in the middle of eternity. (laughs) All right? You cannot be in the middle of eternity. So if if energy and matter have always been, then everything we know about science is a lie. (laughs) So we have to have something that is outside of nature that has no beginning. This is what the very first part of this chapter says. In the beginning... God. God was already there and we have to have logically have to have something that has no beginning. Now I give you a lot of these things because people all throw out these questions all the time and say well this this is true it has to this is something you can't answer and there's no question out there that can't be answered. All right Uh, and I have no problem answering questions. It's fun answering questions. I like answering the questions. Because people have them, and I understand they have questions. God, in no place in the Bible, tells us to throw out our brain to believe in Him. Matter of fact, in Isaiah it says, Come now and let us reason together. God wants us to think. God is not afraid of questions, <laughs> He is not afraid of us having doubts. He does have a problem with us not trying to settle our doubts or come up with answers. And this is why we're going to be looking at the foundations of where we're where we're coming from, in the beginning, God. And this is something that's important because this is going to start everything. Everything for us is going to start here. God is the beginning. He is the beginning of creation. He is the beginning of the animals. He's the beginning of human beings. He's the beginning of the rules for marriage. He's the beginning of the of the of the fact that people have sinned. He knew that they were going to be sinned. He is the first sacrifice. He is the way to get back to be redeemed. He is the one that has given us the beginnings of everything. So we look at the beginnings and say, God, what is your desire? And the more we look at his beginnings, the better off we're going to be because we're living in a world that's getting further and further away from God's truth and trying to come up with their own ideas of what things are. God says that marriage is one man, one woman for life and the world has started out with go ahead and get divorced for any reason. Have a whole bunch of of people, it doesn't really matter and now we're getting to the place, well, what's marriage anyway? It's just uh, whatever people say it is. And we're getting further and further from what God said it is. We're getting further and further away from the idea of what is a family. A husband, wife, and their kids. (laughs) Real simple. You know, family is the ones that are related that way. And now we're getting these little silly signs in, you know, family is whatever you want to be. Any group of people is family. You know, And I understand what they're saying, but God says family is different. They need to come up with some other word that they want to use if they want to do that and quit trying to redefine what God says. And this is one of the things that's very important. As we go through here, you're going to find out that I believe every word of Genesis. (laughs) When God says it, I believe it. And I have reasons why I believe it. I've only been studying it for 48 years, and I have the reasons why I believe what I believe. And I can explain why I believe what I believe. Now, whether you want to believe it or not, that's between you and God. But every word in this book is true and valid. And we want to look at this. And it says, in the beginning, God was there. Not only was God there, but Jesus and the Holy Spirit were there. And this is the amazing thing that we know that they were there because we're going to read through this all over the place that they have always been in existence. all right? And we look at this idea that God made the physical world. He made the physical universe. And he pre-exists everything. What was he doing before that? I have no idea. The Bible doesn't tell us. (laughs) The one thing it does tell us is that Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Before, they create, before God created mankind, he knew that mankind was going to fall. And we've discussed this many times. I don't understand why God made man knowing that we were going to fall. It doesn't make any sense to me, but he did. And he knew that we were going to fall. And he knew that he had to provide the sacrifice to bring us back. And the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit got together before they even created mankind, said, we're going to create mankind, they're fall. Jesus, will you die for their sins to bring them back? And Jesus said, yes. An amazing thing to us, the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. You know, let that sink into you for a moment. How much does God love us? He loved us so much that before he created us, he knew we were going to fall and need a Savior. And still created us. Would any of us have done that? Probably not. (laughs) It makes no sense. Absolutely no sense. And yet, that was his plan. When we get to heaven, we're going to understand God's plan better than we do now. I don't think we're ever going to understand it fully because we're never going to be God. We'll understand it better when we're on the spiritual side of things rather than on this side of the things. But we need to keep in mind, in the beginning, and it says that God created Created, and this word means that He created out of nothing. There was nothing, and all of a sudden there was everything. Now it's kind of an amazing thing. If you've taken the Truth Project with us, Del uh, uh, Tackett has a thing, and he goes, "Let me let me show you how this works." If you're if you're a creationist or an evolutionist, he goes, "Think about nothing. Get nothing in your mind. There's nothing, nothing." Now he says, think about everything. <laughs> okay? Science wants us to believe that there was nothing, and then all of a sudden there was everything that exists in this, in this universe. But everything about science says that nothing, that something never comes from nothing. And yet they want you to believe the entire universe came from nothing, or that the other extreme is it always existed, which we already said can't be, because that's in violation of the physical laws. And then, on top of having everything come from nothing, life is supposed to come from nothing. And we already know that life does not spontaneously generate on its own from nothing, from non-life, unless you're an evolutionist who believes that it happened at least once in the past. Millions and millions of years ago, the laws of science were violated to create life from nothing. And they call it osteological because we are, we are supposed to be have faith and we have a faith in a god that's everlasting and all powerful which i can at least go that route and say there has to be a prime mover to start everything and that prime mover has to be supernatural and has to be you know able to start everything and that's a lot easier for me to believe that life that everything starts from nothing than that life starts from nothing to me that is totally illogical i've never believed it even when it was bombarded and pounded into my head and none of my teachers have ever had an answer for the illogic of it. They would just go, well, you Christians are just faith-based. And I'm going, even when I, before all the books, I'm going, you have a lot more faith than I do. There's a great book out. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. And where the guy goes and lists all the stupid faith-based things that atheists have to believe to be an atheist. All right. And then they, we look at, for us as Christians. Yes, yeah, we have faith. I have no problem. We have faith. We believe in a God who's eternal, all-powerful, and pre exists time. That's a whole lot easier to believe than everything out there violated all the laws that we know and all of a sudden existed. I have never seen empty space ever just pop something into existence. I have never read anybody who's seen nothing pop into existence outside of the Genesis account where God tells us what he did. And yet there's a mover in place on it. So we want to keep in mind the God we serve is everlasting. He is eternal. And I just wanted to go through a couple of our verses to talk about this. Samuel, go ahead and pop those up. I'm going to put them up on the board as we go along. In Job 36, verse 24, it says, huh? 26? 26? You're right, 26. Is it up? It's not up. There we go. Huh? 3626. All right. Good thing it's up there for you guys. Behold, God is great, and we know him not, neither can the number of his years be searched out. All right. We cannot even begin to fathom God and how long he's been around. You know, for us as human beings, we deal in the now. You know, maybe if you're really history buff like I am, you get in and you think, you know, a couple thousand years is a long time. Maybe, you know, 4,000 years, that's a long time. You know, maybe we're looking to the future, you know, a couple generations out and we're thinking a long time. From God's perspective, our long time is Nothing. How did Peter tell us it is a thousand years to God is as a day and a day is as to a thousand years. He goes, God's perspective is it's nothing. Now he wasn't being literal on that. He was just saying God's perspective is that time is nothing. As we get older, time seems to be nothing. You know, I remember you know, when I had my kids and even when I was a kid, you know, it seemed like Christmas and birthdays never came. You know, it was forever until your next birthday or Christmas. I don't know how many of you, but I'm getting old enough now. It seems like Christmas was, well, it was yesterday. But, (laughs) uh, you know, uh, my birthday is coming up in July, and it seems like I just had a birthday. When we get back to December again, it'll seem like December had just happened. We're We're all enough in this room to know that. You know, picture God. He's been around forever. He's outside of time. Time means nothing to God at all. God looks down at time and says, I know it from the beginning all the way to the end. Because he's outside of time. Time is irrelevant to God. In Revelation, chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, which said, which was and which is to come the Almighty. The beginning and the end. He had no beginning. He had no end. Alpha and Omega would be just the same thing as us saying. He's the A to the Z. He encompasses everything. All right. Very important for us to really get understanding the absolute eternity of God. In Hebrews 13 verse 8. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today and forever. God does not change. Another one of the big arguments people will throw at you a lot of times is, well, you know you Christians have a different God than the Old Testament God. Well, the only way you could say that is if you've never read the Old Testament. Was God a little more forceful in the Old Testament? In many times, yes. But we find the very first statement of grace is, Noah and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God loved his people always. Even before that, he showed grace in chapter 3 of Genesis. Adam and Eve have eaten of the tree of the knowledge of the fruit of good and evil. And he said that the day you eat of that fruit, you will die. Now, they died spiritually the moment they ate that fruit and lived another 930-some years after eating the fruit. Just a few years before they physically died. But they did die. But God showed them grace. The wages of sin is death, and God didn't execute them immediately, physically. Now, they died spiritually. They lost the fellowship with God immediately. God walked in with them in the garden every night. He would come and talk with them. And that night, he came to talk to him, and he goes, Adam, where are you? And had to call out a couple times because they weren't answering. They were hiding from God. Kind of hard to do when God is everywhere, <laughs> sees everything. They were trying to hide from God. And he gives them the opportunity to, sh- to repent. And they didn't. And even then, he did not execute them immediately. What did he do? They had sown fig leaves to cover their, dark- their nakedness. And God says, I'm going to take care of what you need to cover your nakedness. He provided skins. How did he provide skins? At least one animal had to die. He didn't just create the animals. He made the first sacrifice for Adam and Eve and showed them that blood had to be shed for sin. And that followed from that point on. And he created the first sacrifice for them. Did he kill more than one animal? Did he kill off an entire species to create uh, skins for them? Possibly. But can you imagine what it is to have had that happen? For all this time, however long before the sin had happened, they were the rulers of the animals they were pets now i know you all know that to me an animal is just a can be a pet but they're not i don't fall in love with my pets but you know i know many of you do can you imagine wearing your pet every time they would have been clothed with that skin their mind would have gone back to the fact that their sin cost their pet their life that would have been a horrible reminder of the cost of sin How many times do we as Christians forget the cost of sin? You know, we will go, well, I can just do whatever I want because God will forgive me. And God will forgive us. But there is a consequence for sin. We reap what we sow always. There is always a consequence for sin. There will be something, and it may not just be us that is impacted. Adam and Eve didn't realize that their sin was going to impact the entirety of mankind. The entirety of mankind became sinners because of their sin. How many times do we commit a sin and we do something and we go, "Well, it's not going to hurt anybody," and it hurts our entire family. There is no sin out there that does not affect somebody. Always. Consequences for sin are much deeper than we ever think they're going to be. Whatever that might be, whatever we think is the consequence is not even close to what the consequence will be. There's always deeper ramifications to our to our sin. And this is what happens here. God knew all this stuff. He knew that it was going to happen. He knew all of this care and he has our grace and mercy for us. He has never changed in his love for humanity. And even when people go, well, God is not God is not that bad in the New Testament. Well, how about Ananias and Sapphira? <laughs> <laughs> they sold a piece of property, took it to the church, and said, uh, we, we brought all the gift to, to the church. Now, did, was there any rule that said they had to bring all the gift to the church? No, they could have brought part of the gift to the church. They could have brought one quarter of it. They could have brought 10%. They could have given $3. It didn't matter. The problem was they were lying to the people, trying to make themselves look really important and spiritual and what did God do he killed them instantly just like he did in the Old Testament when people would try to destroy God's testimony God does not take people trying to get credit for spiritual things lightly even in today's world he is vengeful of that he does not let his name be dragged through the mud without consequence Does he kill everybody? No, but many people have died. I'm sure there are many people who have died early deaths because of their disobedience to God. I've met one that I'm sure that his family suffered and he suffered because of his unrepented sin that he would not repent from. This was long ago, but a deacon and I went to him and said, you need to stop this, it's wrong. And in the process, he wouldn't repent and got a divorce, two of his kids died, and then he finally got sick and died. Does God still punish sickness, uh, sin with severely? Yes. Does he always do it? No. But there's always consequence. Always consequence for our sin and our disobedience. In Isaiah, chapter 41, verse 4, Who hath wrought and done it, calling the generations from the beginning, I the Lord, the first and the last, I am he. Again, before all things, after all things. And I just want to really stress, God is eternal. God is outside of time. This is the amazing thing, and I've said this, I don't know if I've said it on Sunday morning or not, but you know, do you realize, because God is outside of time, he sees time totally different than we do. Time is not something that flows back and forward you know, in one direction to him. It's not even something that flows back and forward. He is above time. He sees the beginning and the end at the same moment. Now, this is something really important for us. Why is that important? I have said there's one word you will never hear God say. And that's I didn't know that was going to happen. All right, God already knows what's going to happen in our lives to us because he is above time. And he is with us right here in this room right now. He is with us in the millennial kingdom right now. He is with us in the new heaven and the earth right now. He is with Adam and Eve right now because of his distance and the way he sees time. He interacts with his omnipresent being not just everywhere present at the same time, but every time at the same time. That doesn't make sense, but in same time, you know, same time. You know, he is omnipresent. He is the only person and being in the universe that can claim to know everything because he is everywhere and every time. Nobody can hide from him because of the way he is. He is so much bigger than we normally think about him in. And on the next slide, i got a whole bunch of verses if you want to write them down. And it's only a portion of the verses that can show you that God is eternal. And there were so many of them, I put them on a slide so people could write them down. God is eternal. He was from the beginning and before the beginning. He will be at the end and go past the end. For us as human beings, we were created beings and we had a start and we will go on for eternity. Where we go on to eternity is our decision. Are we going to accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and follow him as our Lord? Or are we going to reject him? If we accept him, we spend eternity with God in heaven. If we reject him, we spend eternity in the lake of fire away from God. Our decision on what we're going to do. And people go, well, God is love. He'd never send anybody to hell. God is so loving, he's going to give you what you want. You want to go to hell? You reject Jesus Christ? He's going to say, fine, you're going to do that. You're going to go to hell. Because even if a person who doesn't want to know God went to heaven, it would be hell to them because it'd be with the one they didn't want to be with. So he's going to say, fine, you chose to not want me. You did not want me for eternity. Oh, and by the way, it'll be the lake of fire Well, you'll burn for eternity. Your conscience will burn because you'll know you're there on purpose and and you'll be in pain and you'll have problems because you chose it. He's a loving God. He'll give us what we choose. The story of the rich man and Lazarus, the the rich man looks up in torment in hell, in thirst, and says, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to me with just a drop of water because I'm thirsty. He was still arrogant. He still thought he was more important than Lazarus. Even though Lazarus is sitting in luxury in heaven and he's in hell in torment, he still is thinking he's more important than Lazarus. And that Lazarus should take care of him when he wouldn't take care of Lazarus. Hell is not going to be a good place. People are still going to be selfish. They're still going to have their attitudes. And they will never have the opportunity to be satisfied. This is the problem even on this world. The world doesn't focus on God. And they're always seeking more and more and never satisfied. They always want more. How much is enough money? A little bit more. Somebody else has got more than I do or are going to catch up with me sometime. How much is enough fame? I need a little more. How much is enough, you know, anything? Just a little bit more. I don't have enough. Why? Because we're trying to fill a hole that only God can fill. He created a hole in our spirit that is an infinite sized hole because only God is supposed to fill it and he's an infinite God so he can fill that hole. And without him filling that hole, we will never have enough of anything. It doesn't matter what you want to fill that hole with. Money, fame, family, work, whatever it is you try to fill that hole with without God is not going to be able to fill it. It will never be satisfying. And God knows that because he created us to need him. It's important that we understand we need him because he is the creator that put that need in us, the need for him. And without that need being filled, we will never be fully satisfied. And it takes an eternal, full, infinite God to fill that hole. Nothing else we can do will fill it. And when it comes to salvation, it's the same thing. Nothing I can do is good enough for God to say it's enough. Why? Because everything I do is tainted. It's tainted by sin. Even when I do something good, it's to try to please somebody or make myself look good without God. And God says, your good works are not going to do it. Isaiah says that all our righteousness is as filthy rags in God's sight. There are going to be a lot of good people that go to hell because they did not accept Jesus Christ. They're going to stand before God, and it's going to be really interesting at that time because they're going to stand before God, not in their sins at the white throne judgment, they're going to stand before God in their good works. A bunch of filthy rags, and they're going to be standing in the courtroom of heaven, telling God that they're good enough to enter into heaven in their rags that they're going to see for the first time, that all their good works were filthy rags. How do we come to heaven? In the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We come to God and say, God, I am a sinner. I deserve the punishment because I'm a sinner. God, I accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Forgive me. Come into my life. At that moment, when it's a truly believed prayer, the righteousness of Christ is put on us. And from that point on, God sees perfection. Now we know we're not perfect yet, but God says from the court of heaven, this child is perfect. It's called justification. Our our equivalent in our court system is you go into a bankruptcy court owing a whole lot of money, millions of dollars, hundreds of thousands, whatever it might be, and the court and the judge says, forgiven. At that point, nobody can come after you for those debts. Now, you incur, it's bad though, because you can incur more debts in, the, in that illustration, but you, know, you leave that courtroom not owing anything. That's what his, Jesus does for us. He fills, he puts his righteousness on us, and we leave the court of heaven, and God says, "No, you owe nothing. Now, does that mean I can go out and sin and do whatever I want? Well, technically I could, but you know, that's not meaning that I'm following him. If I truly follow him, now I love him and I'm going to go out and try to serve him, not to get to heaven, not even to get to God to like me or love me more because he already loves me as much as he's ever going to love me before I'm saved. God's love for me put Jesus on the cross. Before I did anything to deserve anything, and I never do deserve deserve anything. He went to the cross while we were his enemy and died for us. Technically he went to the cross before the foundations of the earth because God said as soon as Jesus said yes I will be the sacrifice the father says you have done it because he knew that he would not lie he knew that he'd go to the cross for our sins you know, and this is something important you'll, you'll hear a lot of pastors go well Jesus God couldn't do certain things before Jesus died on the cross that's a lie. Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. And as soon as Jesus said, yes, I'll die, as far as God was concerned, he had already been sacrificed because he knew that being God, he would not change his mind. He would not not go to the cross. So he could deal with us as if he'd already died because he is outside of time. He had already died in God's sight. This is why he was able to give Adam and Eve grace when they deserved judgment. This is why he was able to give Noah grace and his family grace to be on the ark and be, be, be saved from the flood. This is why he was able to give grace to Eber, the way he was reason he was able to give grace to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and Moses, and all the people that he didn't kill that deserved all the punishments that they've deserved. Because Jesus in God's sight had already died. Because that's what he is. And so we want to be able to understand. God is eternal. He has a plan. He knows what we're going to go through. And he has a plan. He is sovereign. And he will make his plan happen. And this is why it's good for us. No matter what comes our way in life. To know that God is sovereign. And has a plan. Now sometimes he lets more things in. Than we really want. You know, most of the time he lets more things in than we really want. If you don't believe it, look at Job. Job is going along, the richest man in the world at the time, healthy. He's got some kids that are really good that he offers sacrifices for. And Satan and God have this conversation. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? He hates evil. And Satan says, "Of course I, of course I've considered him, but you've got this big fence around him. I can't touch him. And God gives Satan permission to Satan to touch Job on three separate times. Takes away all of his wealth, takes away his family, takes away his his health. But the point of that story is Satan had to ask for permission. Satan still has to ask for permission to touch people. Because otherwise he'd kill everybody because his goal is to kill everybody so they go to hell with him, spend time in hell, and not with God. So if he had his goal, nobody would get past their birth. And of course, if nobody got past their birth, there would be nobody to give birth. So it would end a long time ago if he had his way. Because he knows that the longer somebody's alive, the more chance they have for, to come to God. And God will not let him take people's lives that easy. Now, God gives them a lot of freedom. A lot more freedom than I would give it, but God knows the beginning from the end. I'm not going to argue with God. God's let a lot of things come into my life. I go, sometimes I'm going, and I've told you. Sometimes I ask God, you know, God, I don't understand how this can be for good, but you have promised that, it's all, that all things work together for good. So I'm going to grab hold of that verse sometimes and say, God, <laughs> doesn't make any sense to me, but you've promised. Do you have some verses that you grab hold of, that your life verse, that you say, God, I'm going to hold on to this verse. I recommend finding something in the the verse that you say, God, I'm just going to hold on to this verse. This is a true verse. I'm going to hold on to it for everything I have when trials are hard. I love Romans 8, 28. For all things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God. When you go through hard times, that's a great verse. I also in my early days learned not to give that verse to anybody who's suffering. Because if you don't believe that verse going into the suffering... You are not going to believe the verse when you're in the middle of suffering. All right? Your life verse has to be something you believe, and then it it will mean something to you when you're in the middle of suffering. And I learned it the hard way when somebody just went off on me when I gave them that verse that all things work together for good. Now, if you were to tell me that verse and remind me about it, I'm going, yes, okay, yes, you're right. Because I totally believe it, and I totally grab hold of it when things get tough. But don't ever... Don't ever give that verse to somebody who's having a hard time and expect them to be comforted in the middle of their hard time. Because if they don't believe it going in, they're not going to believe it in the middle of the trial. And that'll be the same thing with all the verses, you know, uh, given to the Lord the uh, first fruits of all your increase, you know, or any of the ber- uh, verses on tithing, you know, and God will bless you. All right? If somebody's in the middle of financial trials, do not give them those verses telling them God's going to bless them when they give to him. Because they're already in a problem area. (laughs) When you're in the middle of the problem, you're not going to believe the promise of God that you didn't believe coming into the problem. (laughs) So you want to be very careful with this and, and look to the fact that these verses mean something when you believe them. Look through the scriptures and find the verses that mean something to you and start putting them into your heart. Start putting them in front of your face and your eyes and start believing these verses so that when you go through the trials, you go through the problems, you can go back to that verse that you believe going into the problem. The verse we're memorizing this month is Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I'm even going to tell you the most powerful part of that book. That verse is in the beginning, God And next week, we're still going to be in Genesis (laughs) 1-1 to to go through that second part. (laughs) And then in the third week, we'll go the end of Genesis 1-1 and and further. (laughs) So we'll be in Genesis 1-1 for three weeks. (laughs) But, you know, this first part is, he's eternal. In the beginning, God. He was there before the beginning. He did not start 6,000 years ago when the world was created. And you'll note that I said 6,000 years. That's how long ago. And so if you start looking at the scriptures, this earth was created approximately 6,000 years ago. If you go to the Jews, it's uh, 5,887, I think, is the year that the Jews are in. So they've counted back from the creation. So when you hear these people say that the world is millions and trillions of years old, it's out of their imagination. They have no way of knowing it. And we can, if you, want to, if you want me to help you with that, I'll talk with you about why it's not true, from the scientific reasons why it's not true. Not just saying the Bible says so, so that's the end, because I am not that type of person. I am a logical thinker who doesn't want to just say that's just the way it is. I'm willing to go to faith, and some of my beliefs have started with faith, but I've also been able to research and check things out. God says, "Come now, let us reason together." He doesn't say, "Check your brain at the door and be my follower." All right? The cults, other cults do that. Other religions do that because they cannot stand up to scrutiny. The Word of God can handle scrutiny. The Word of God can handle the questions. God can handle the questions. He is not afraid of questions, and we as His people should not be afraid of questions. We should be able to look and say, God, what is it? How am I going to live? What do you expect? Why should I believe what you've said? And be able to ask Him those questions. And in, if, you can't, if you're in a church where you can't hear those things, then find another church. Because they'll, they'll, anybody who tells you just believe it has nothing to believe in. Faith is not just jumping off of a cliff in, in belief. Faith is having a cognizant understanding of what you're believing in. Every one of you that walked in sat down in these pews. There's not a one of you that looked at that pew and said, uh, I'm not sure that that pew is going to hold me up. So we sat down in the pew. Now, I've shared with you, you know, you know those little catering white chairs that are about a quarter inch thick on the uh, metal. I don't sit in those. At 300 pounds, I do not sit in those chairs because I have had several that collapsed under me. So I look at them and say, I don't have enough faith to sit in that chair. Why? Because too many of them are broken. All right? Faith is not just jumping on, going to the Grand Canyon and stepping off and saying, I believe. (laughs) I believe I can walk across the air, across the Grand Canyon, and I won't fall. That is not faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I get to know so much about God. I get into his word. I get to hear his word. I get taught his word. And because I start to learn about who God is I can have faith in God and trust in God. Even in places where I don't understand it, I can believe that it's true and then God can show me why it's true because I get to know that God is true. How do we do that? We spend time reading. We encourage everybody to read the Bible through every year. And I hope you do. If you don't read our schedule, find a schedule you like. It doesn't matter, but read the Bible through every year. Make sure that you're being taught the scriptures. Make sure that you are understanding scriptures, that you can find some place that you say, I've got a question, I want an answer. I love getting the questions. People come to me with questions on, on the Bible study nights or on Saturday, and I love to answer the questions. The first thing you're going to find out about me, you come to me with a Bible question, and I'm going to show, we're going to read the context of the Bible verse, and usually you'll go, oh, yeah, that's the answer. You don't even need me to tell you half the time. You read the 10, 15, 20 verses ahead of it and behind it, and usually whatever your question is is answered. But if it doesn't answer, we'll help you through answering it. But, you know, we learn from the God's word. We get to trust God's character. And the most important thing is God loves us. He loves us so much he's not going to let us stay in our sinful condition, and he's going to help us grow out of our sinful condition. Which means he allows us to do things, fall into traps, and then he lifts us up from the trap and teaches us. Ideally, we get into his word and we learn wisdom so that we don't fall into the trap in the first place. (laughs) And it's a lot easier. The more we follow God, the easier life is because we don't have the consequence of our sins when we fall. I have dealt with so many people that say, I want to get my life put together. How do I do it? I've made these many mistakes. I'm going, it's going to be tough. From this point on, live God's way. Now we'll see how to deal with the consequences. It's sometimes not easy. You know, when you're dealing with somebody who's saying, I want to have a family and I've got kids from three different women, it's a tough, it's a tough act. How do you make your life correct from that point? Because you can't abandon the first ones. But if you'd have done it God's way in the first place, you wouldn't have had the problem. But you can't just get rid of the problem. You're going to have to trust God to help you through the issues, and it's tough. And we all have mistakes. We all have consequences that we're living for. And I don't care who you are and how early you got saved and how, how close to perfect you've lived. Because <laughs> nobody's lived perfectly. We all have consequences we have to deal with. All of us. And it's a matter of submitting to God and letting God be our answer. Learning enough about God to let us have the trust in who he is. And we're going to close here. And, you know, just the first thing I want to understand is if, you don't, if you've never made a commitment for God, today would be your day to make a commitment to him. All you have to do is admit to him that, God, I am a sinner. I deserve, your, I deserve the punishment for sin. Thank you for Jesus' death. Come into my life and save me. And it doesn't have to be that exact prayer. It doesn't have to be those exact words. It's just recognizing that you need God. And if if you're ready to say that prayer, say that prayer and then talk to me afterwards and let me know that you've said that prayer because that's bringing God into your life and becoming part of the family. At that point, we start moving forward. For the rest of us, let's put God at the beginning of all of our life. We need God in the beginning of all of what we do and how we do it. And really put our trust in the God who is everlasting. Put our trust in the God who cares for us. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you that you are eternal. You're the prime mover of all things, the beginning of all things. You were there before and that you will be there after all things end in the physical world. Lord, help us to really understand and comprehend that. Lord, we ask that if anybody is listening online or even in this room that doesn't know you, that today they will ask you to be their Lord and Savior and will make the decision to follow you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name, amen.